everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. So will you just for kicks, just uh, trust me and close your eyes. I just want you to picture something with me. I want you to picture that you're backpacking with your friend across Europe. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? And, And then you stop at one of those like quaint, British pubs that has like a name like the three-legged mare or the drunken duck or the naughty dragon or something like that. And you have some, um, what, some bangers and mash and some mushy peas and some Yorkshire pudding. And you want to get to the next town because you have this reservation at at a hostel. And uh, as you leave to go, the locals sort of sternly warn you and they say, stay off the moors. And you smile and nod, but you're not even quite sure if you know what a moor is. And so you're hiking along, and it gets a lot darker, quicker than you expected. And you look behind you, and you can no longer see the lights of the last town. And you look ahead, and you can't see the lights of the town that you're supposed to go to. And pretty soon, you're not going to be able to see your hand in front of your face. It's getting that dark, and, and you're not sure if even you're on the trail anymore. In fact, it, am I standing in what they called the moors? And just as you're thinking that, you hear this. Okay, you can open your eyes now. You laughed because you're not there, but hypothetically, if you're there, what do you do? Run, says the dead person in row three, right. (laughs) Uh, Because what did we just hear there? A wolf, a wolf. Now, apart from that being um, stolen from the opening scene of an American werewolf in London, the movie, let me ask you this. What do you do when a wolf comes? What do you do when a pack of wolves come? You know, one of the, one of the great storylines of, of the Bible is that God is a shepherd. Jesus says, I am, uh, I am your good shepherd. And the church, in some ways, is like a flock of sheep. We're all like sheep. And, and, and the church even could be illustrated as a pen where we have some protection together. Pastors and other leaders are supposed to be shepherds as well, even as we are shepherded by the perfect shepherd, Jesus. And so one of my holy discontents is that according to Jesus, along with sheep and along with shepherds, sometimes there's going to be wolves. Um, This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, They are ferocious wolves. Sometimes they'll be uh, lone wolves. Sometimes they'll run in packs. But to extend the metaphor, they devour flocks. They attack shepherds. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about them. So 
I'd like to turn your attention to Titus. This is a little three-chapter book, more of a letter actually written by Paul to a guy that he's coaching, mentoring, Titus. And, and after a welcome, Paul gets right into it and he says, okay, as a church leader slash church planter in Crete, by the way, um, that's where we get the word Cretan from. How would you like to be, it doesn't really speak well of geography. If like, it'd be like, you know, if the new put down for a sleazy person was uh, Gwillenberry. That dude's such a Gwillenberry. You'd be like, oh, I don't know if I like being called that. And Paul is like to Titus among the Cretans, you got to surround yourself with good co-leaders, right? Some elders. You can't do this job by yourself. In fact, this is not even just one church. This is several churches in the area that Titus has been uh, set to oversee. And so Paul gives him not an exhaustive list, but a list of the kinds of people that you'll, you'll want as elders. He says you'll, you're going to want faithful people, good spouses, good parents, uh, not greedy, not drunk, not quick-tempered or violent, someone who is hospitable and self-controlled and disciplined, uh, loves what is good. Um, you're going to need mature, wise people because mixed along with those mature Christians and new Christians and spiritually seeking people are going to be wolves. And so uh, let's read from Titus 1, verse 10 to 16. Here's, here's the warning that Paul gives. Uh, it's the next, sorry, it's the next one after that, Glenn. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is true. So reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Gee whiz, Paul, tell us what you really think. Um, now, this is going to seem on the surface like there's a tension between what Chris so beautifully taught a few weeks ago on unity and, and what I'm talking about this morning. This doesn't sound very pro-unity, quite the opposite. Well, actually, these themes are not contradictory to one another. They're not in conflict with one another. They're actually parallels of the same truth. There are many... Christians today, it seems, and, you know, at times uh, myself, to some extent, who are conflict allergic, right? Like, have no stomach for any sort of disagreement or controversy or conflict. You know, it's, it's like if you take a, a hard position on something or, or object to someone else's philosophy, then you can be accused of being unloving or 
unchristlike or mean-spirited or religious or whatever. You know, we can be like a bunch of Rodney Kings for Jesus. Can't we all just get along? And sometimes we can be in danger of adopting that cultural worldview that says tolerance is the highest ideal. And I'm sorry, um, all views can't be equally truthful. They just can't be. Everyone needs to yield to truth. I need to yield to truth. You need to yield to truth. It doesn't ultimately matter what my opinions are or what maybe we come up by with consensus. We believe that this book called the Bible is truth, Holy Spirit inspired, and, and we submit to it. We submit to it. It's a question that we have to reckon with. Are we more formed by culture or by the word of God? So, so what we read in Titus is that there's these insubordinate deceivers who are leading entire households astray with, with false doctrine, with anti-Jesus philosophies. And I know sometimes it's not easy to always bridge first century church with 21st century church. But this is an easy one to bridge because we know of churches today who are misleading followers with myths, with legalism, with false gospels, with cheap grace, teaching that's devoid of Jesus. And Paul reminds Titus that he, he left him there to set things in order and do it in a, in a clear expedient, authoritative way. Paul's saying like, look, you can't cozy up to a wolf, okay? You, you can't try to play nice with a wolf and hope to win them over. Like, do you ever notice we don't have wolves as pets? They tend to eat the baby, you know what I'm saying? And you, you can't train it out of them. They just keep eating all your babies. <laughs> Sorry, Vicky. Vicky's in BC right now, and I usually look to her if I've gone too far, and she's, uh, so I'd have no one to do that, so <laughs> fasten your seatbelts. Um, I don't know if you know this, but um, years, when I was a kid, I was, I was bitten by a wolf, like, just behind my ear. I, I wear hats a lot, so you don't, you can't see it from here, but like, Jessica, just come here and you'll see. What? No, just, just confirm that I have. See? Now, I just wanted to do that. It has nothing to do with anything, but should have seen her face. Look, sometimes, sometimes a good shepherd uh, needs to make sure the wolf don't come around no more. Am I, am I right? Paul identifies these people as rebellious, empty talkers, and deceivers. Are you okay, Jessica? Are you going to be able to listen to the... Okay, I know. I did lie to you. We're going to tackle lying at another sermon. Um, and apparently these people in Crete had another agenda for the church. It was to turn people away from the gospel of grace. So removing this heretical teaching... Uh, particularly at this vital time in the early church, is going to be critical for their future. You know, Rosa, my daughter, asked me what I was speaking on, and I told her about 
wolves and false teaching and all that, she asked a great question. Um, Aren't we all a bit wolfy, she said, but good, you know, smart kid, good DNA, that one. And, uh, you know, yeah, aren't we all a, a bit of a heretic on some things? I, I don't know, I don't know until I'm in heaven, maybe the, the wrong doctrine that I have even shared from this stage we're all a bit wrong on something. We, uh, Paul says we see through a glass darkly, and one day it will all be revealed how we, how we got it right and how we got it wrong. I, but I, th- I want to distinguish between sort of a, um, a well-meaning Christ follower trying, authentically trying to listen to the Spirit of God versus somebody who is willful, and rebellious and looking to maliciously attack the church. There there, um, are dangerous people that Paul characterizes by these three qualities. They are rebellious. They are empty talkers. Some say, some translations say empty-headed, doing a lot of talking but saying nothing. And they are deceivers. Um, Dr. Townsend, uh, John Townsend, he co-wrote the book Boundaries with Henry Cloud. You're familiar with, with him? He's got a new book called People Fuel. He talks about the types of people in our lives. You know, some people give us fuel, give us energy. Some people drain us of fuel or energy. Um, so he says everybody has gains and drains in their life. And just quickly want to go through, because I think this is instructive. He, he gives each type of person um, uh, a letter that's, uh, or a, a word that starts with C. One of the most helpful people we can have in our life is a coach. We all need coaches, you know. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't have them. But we need somebody who is mentoring us, somebody who is coaching us, sharpening us. Um, experts in a given field. You, you want to learn from a marriage coach, from a finance coach, from a life coach, a vocational coach. Everybody needs a coach. And then everybody needs comrades. These are friends you actually do life with. Maybe only between two and nine people. And they don't have to live near you necessarily, but you do have to somehow spend time with them. You have to be vulnerable with them. They have to be vulnerable with you. These are not fair weather friends. These are not fleeting friends. These are Lifelong friends, comrades. Then there's casuals. These are probably most of the people in your contact list. Probably most of your Facebook friends are casuals, neighbors, parents of your kids' friends. And then you have your colleagues. These are people who could probably turn into your comrades, but at least they start out as as work-related, task-related, vocational-related colleagues. Then there's care people. Most of us have people that we are caring for in one capacity or another. Children, uh, aging parents, people at church who need a little extra TLC, um, the person that we're shoveling their snow for or, um, uh, you know, caring for on some level. Now, then we have what are called chronics. They seem to have these chronic problems over and over again. Their money issues or their relational issues, their vocational issues. Wisdom is not 
real high on their gift list. These are people who often find themselves on the wrong side of every issue. You know, you try and help, but they never seem to want to take your advice and you want to say to them, I'm not going to talk to you again until you implement some of the things I talked to you about before, right? They're, they're not malicious. They're not, they don't have bad intentions, but you can spend a lot of time with these folks because of chronic behavior. Am I, you're with me so far? Yeah. Some people are nodding too hard there. Okay. Now, the last one he calls contaminants. I really think this could be another word for wolves. These people probably do have bad intentions, probably are out to hurt, out to manipulate, out to seize control. Unfortunately, these type of, of people exist. Now, chronics may be foolish, but contaminants are, are bad folks, willfully, intentionally. And so, as that applies to people in the church, are there degrees of culpability and responsibility here? You know, maybe, for instance, the well-intentioned but deceived person is probably different than the rebellious one, the one who is trying to manipulate and steer your church off course. And uh, yeah, there is a different level probably of accountability and culpability between the chronic and the contaminant. You'd, you would deal with them differently. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes the results are the same though, that, that being a, a different gospel ends up being preached, which Paul says is, is no gospel at all. It's not actually good news. So Paul prescribes a really strong medicine to these folks. He says they must be silenced. The, the Greek word here is um, epistemizo. It means, it means muzzled or bridled like you would with a horse. How many, who's my horse experts in the room? Is like Michelle here or, or Earl? Anybody? Okay, so whatever I say, you'll believe then? You know, look, the, the, the word, you, the word bridled, you know that if you've got a huge animal, maybe that are giving children rides, could do a lot of damage if that horse is not bridled, is not muzzled in some way. And so these false teachers, Paul says, need to be bridled to prevent them from doing damage. It just takes a few misled members of the family to ruin the whole household, doesn't it? I've said this before, but church unity is so hard fought for and it's so easily lost. I'm grateful for a unified church in Nack. Oh, we disagree on things, but we, we can live in unity. But that is so easily lost and I find it interesting that often the greatest challenge to the church doesn't come from out there. It comes from inside at times. So Paul is giving a, a directive in Acts 20 to, to overseers, to elders, to pastors. Here's what he says. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Whew, high, high bar. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. 
men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. And then Peter says in 2 Peter, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Shepherds are to love sheep. And, it, and it's also the shepherd's job to be harsh towards wolves and in doing so, love the sheep. Would you agree that sometimes a loving shepherd needs to shoot some wolves every now and then? Yeah. I want to be clear though. Wolves are not people who we disagree with over methodology, okay? There's all kinds of churches meeting this morning and some of them are going to preach two hours and they're going to improvise an hour-long jam of one chord progression and then they're going to do a Jericho march around the perimeter of the building. And that's great. That's not my idea of Sunday fun day, but God bless them. They're not wolves, okay? That's methodology. There's going to be other churches that think drums are are a cultural compromise, and hymns are the only acceptable form of worship. And I disagree, but listen, not wolves. Wolves are not people we disagree with over secondary issues. Wolves are fundamentally doing damage to the reputation of Jesus and his church, damage to the essentials. Sometimes uh, we even have to name names. Paul did it. Uh, Not everyone preaching is preaching the truth. Not everyone uh, with a Bible in their hands loves Jesus. So so why should we worry about wolves? Well, maybe the question ought to be, uh, do you want to build your life around truth or build it around a lie? Because the legalists in Crete wanted to build it around a lie. And it started with a demand for circumcision but it's really a gateway into a doctrine of of legalism, a lie that says you're always having to please God, always trying to measure up, but never quite measuring up. Consider this, too. Do you know, much of the New Testament takes place near or around what is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, to the church in Pergamum, near modern-day Turkey, this is what Jesus writes. You went through some persecution, and and you stayed true, but he says, I have this against you. Um, You keep listening to these false teachers, and then he he names them. Um, There'll be consequences if you keep allowing this to happen. Do you know right now in Turkey, there are about 74 million in that area. There's about 4,000 Protestant Christians at last count. That makes Turkey one of the most unreached places in the entire world. But you know, there was a day when Turkey was considered the center of Christianity. And at some point, apostasy became the majority. Could could we fall into that position? Could this happen to Nak? Could this happen to my family? Could this happen to Canada? We are always a generation or two away from apostasy, um, a people who have accepted a false gospel. This is why I'm going to ask us as a church to guard the gospel 
okay? The gospel is precious. Do you ever wonder why Jesus, in his parables, is always likening the gospel to, to precious things, to treasure, to light, to a pearl? These are valuable things. And the key to avoiding apostasy, I think, and guarding the gospel is always coming back to the word of God. When we hear a lie, we, we take it to the scripture for truth. When we're tempted to sin, we ask Jesus, who promises to give us a spirit of wisdom and of correction, to, to correct us. And so what are the two basic ways that the gospel is damaged or compromised? I think it comes down to this. It's adding to it. This is, these are the Jesus plus people or subtracting from the gospel. These are the Jesus minus people. You know, the, the gospel can be overcomplicated, but it, it can also be diluted. So if I present the gospel, I can go into all kinds of things about cosmology, about a literal 24-hour, six-day creation, about how the 66 books of the Bible became canon, about how the word tithe literally means 10%, but the New Testament is more about a radical generosity. You know, sometimes we so front-load the gospel with everything at once. Like when someone is drowning in Lake Simcoe, you don't describe all the nuance of the boat to them. You throw them a rope, right? And the church in Galatia, the church in Crete said, all you need is Jesus plus all these other rules. All you need is Jesus plus a little operation that won't take too long and these 47 other Jewish rules. Um, here's the other side of the error is, is when we dilute or subtract from or compromise essential elements of the gospel. You know, the church in Corinth, we spent half a year studying the church in Corinth. They said, yeah, all you need is Jesus, but none of the repentance or the holiness or the surrender that comes with us. Jesus minus all the tough stuff, right? Jesus minus the cross. I see this all the time. Preachers who want to tell you about heaven and happiness and prosperity conveniently forget to mention sin and obedience and sacrifice and the cross. There is a heresy in our church today I think is really do, uh, really doing damage to the reputation of Jesus and his church is called the prosperity gospel. It's called the word of faith movement. And like all heresies, there, there's elements of truth in it. But it seems the overlying philosophy is that God exists to make you rich and happy and healthy. And it's no wonder it appeals to so many there's no talk of making you holy or sanctified through suffering or taking up your cross following Jesus. Y'all know I like I watch UFC, but the truth is I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? And I I, I tend at times to avoid conflict. I don't like conflict, but man, you will see a different side of me when I see the simple essentials of Jesus' message compromised. That's when the gloves come off, baby. And the gloves should come off. Um, one sinless God, you know, me, a sinner, 
Jesus showing us a perfect life. He killed, buried, rose again. Faith in Jesus alone for salvation. The kingdom of God that has come and is coming. We're talking about essentials. And we sang it this morning. There's love that came for us. Humbled to a sinner's cross. He broke my shame and my sinfulness. He rose again victorious. That's the gospel. So quickly, um, before I close, how do we guard this gospel? How do we guard this precious gospel against wolves? Well, one thing is we need to guard it corporately. We have a denomination that we are part of that has a creedal statement of faith, and, and churches are expected to remain uh, orthodox to the essentials, good doctrine. We're accountable as church leaders. Um, we have, you know, individual discretion on other things like something you know that I personally find important, women in eldership positions, but even I'll concede that that is not a creedal salvation primary issue. Um, It's a contentious one. Uh, Guarding the gospel in our church family, in the organization of NAC, it is the elders' responsibility to, to watch out. And I hope that you would talk to me if you ever feel I've publicly compromise the gospel. It's the reason that as pastors, we meet every Tuesday and evaluate the message and challenge each other. So was that doctrinally or theologically correct? Are we preaching truth? How, how could we have been maybe misunderstood? It's the reason Glenn, I think, is careful about what kinds of conferences and events that he takes the youth to. What kind of speakers are going to be there? And am I going to have to do damage control after so-and-so speaks? Because He knows the gospel is precious. And as a leader representing many young people in their families, the gospel's too important to get wrong. We drift so easily, don't we? Like, it's one of the reasons that we as Christians for the last 2,000 years have aligned our week around Sunday. Probably up until recently, that was an untouchable time. You don't schedule anything else in that time slot to continually remind ourselves, realign ourselves, resubmit ourselves to the hearing of the word, to the teaching of the gospel. And look, I know most of us don't come for new information. We come because we need to be reminded of what we already know. And then I want to say you need to guard it personally. It is your primary responsibility to guard the gospel within you. You know, the best sermons I've ever preached have not been on this stage. Some of you are like, yeah, no kidding. Uh, (laughs) The best sermons haven't been with a microphone or anyone else in the room for that matter. Some of the best sermons I've preached, you know what I'm about to say, have been to myself under my breath as I drive my car alone. Um, Man, sometimes those sermons were so good in my car, like I wanted to like have an altar call and take up an offering. You know what I'm saying? But even as I battle depression and worry and lies from the enemy, I have to straight straight up just preach to myself. I preach truth to replace the 
whisper of lies. I, I preach 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, Jonathan. And the, the lies keep coming. And so I preach to myself. I preach Philippians 1, 5 to 6. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. So some of you are living in fear today. Some of you are in fear of the unknown, unknown for your children, unknown of your next step in your life. You need to Preach the gospel of courage to yourself. You need to, the good news that God preached to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, say it with me, or forsake you. Preach it to yourself. Preach it to your spouse. Preach it over your children. And this is one of the few things in life that we, we don't guard by locking it away in a vault. We guard it by actually using it. You guard it by hearing it and speaking it and doing it. So that's the third thing. We guard it by living it. Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. Paul's simply repeating something that Jesus said on numerous occasions. By their fruits, you will know them. What we believe will determine how we live. So don't Build your life around a lie. Folks, the gospel is too precious. There's nothing else worth guarding as much as the true gospel. And I wish we didn't have to be wary of wolves and deceivers and charlatans, but we do. And even more so as the day approaches. I wish we didn't have the tendency as sheep to drift, but we do. We've said a lot today about what the gospel isn't. And for those of you who've never heard the gospel story, um, let me just take the opportunity to tell you the gospel right now. Just the simple, beautiful story of the gospel. It's a story that begins in a garden, a perfect garden that God made himself, that he planted himself. It's beautiful and it's bountiful and humans flourish there and God even says, it's very good. There's no conflict. There's no cancer. There's no lies or violence or tears. Love and peace and beauty prevail, but it doesn't last. Evil tempts the first couple to disobey and, and pursue their own interests, and suddenly perfection is corrupted. There's, there's thistles and thorns where flowers once grew. And humans come into conflict with creation and with each other and with God. The world is broken. But then God, even in his mercy, makes a promise as early as the third chapter of the Bible that somebody would come and make all things right again. Even though we're the ones who rejected God. Even though we're the ones who sinned. So already we start to feel the first tremble of a, of a savior. And that savior comes in Jesus, who is fully God and fully human. He's the God-man. And his perfectly lived life becomes an example of what it means to image God. Every moment of his ministry is spent with 
the sick and the poor and the hurting. And he leaves healing and transformation wherever he goes. But ultimately, his mission is to offer himself up as a sacrifice for humanity's sin. So Jesus dies for every sin from the garden until now and every sin that will come. It should have been us, but he dies for us. He suffers when it should have been us. The righteous for the unrighteous. And now, because of Jesus, because of this gift, um, we can forever defeat death. Because of his resurrection, we can have new life. He's beaten the power of the grave and of sin. And since Christ says that by faith and grace alone, he can actually take up residence in us, we too can have victory over death. We, we can have the hope and the knowledge that he's coming again. Um, this time he's not going to come, by the way, as a servant, but as a king who will rule and reign, who will make all things right. And you know, until then, we get the privilege of being his ambassadors, of telling his story, of being a, a blessing to the world. That's the gospel. Simple, right? It's not easy, but it's simple. You can put it in your own words too. But, but church, protect that simple gospel. Protect that simple truth. I want to invite the band to come up. And um, I wonder if there's anybody who would say, I'm not sure I understood why we worship, why we sing these songs about Jesus. And, and now I think I'm starting to get it. And you would say, um, I think I want to be a follower of Christ this morning. Would there be anybody like that who'd say, maybe for the first time, I'd like to follow Jesus? That's okay. I, I want you to know I'm, I'm available to, to talk with you. Uh, we have good elders, good staff who would love to talk with you about maybe making a, a decision to follow Jesus. It's not easy. Um, it's, a, it's a surrender of my will, and it feels like a daily thing, so it's not easy. Oh, but it, it, it is simple. Believe in him. Confess your sins. Just receive the gift of grace and salvation.